Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles tonight. I'm going to preach a, uh, a message of help uh, to every single one of us that are in this room tonight, whether it's the seasoned Christian, whether it's the new Christian, whether it's the young person, you may have been saved for quite a while and you're on fire for God, or whether it's somebody lost here tonight, before it's all said and done, uh, every single person, I believe, if you've come to church uh, with an open heart tonight, I believe the message uh, could be a help to every single one of us tonight. Mark chapter number 4, if you find your place, let's all stand as we take reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Mark in chapter number 4. I'll begin reading in verse number 35. The Bible says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there rose and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse number 1. The Bible says that they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And Brother Bailey, wherever you're at, would you open us up in prayer tonight, please, sir, Brother Bailey. Amen. You may be seated tonight. If you've been in church any length of time at all, you've heard messages preached on this portion of Scripture. We all like the songs sung about this portion of Scripture. Where Jesus and the disciples are on that ship, and they're passing over to the other side, and you'll find that they in fact did pass over to the other side. But before they got to that place of the other side, there was a storm that came along the way. And it rocked that ship, it tossed that ship to and fro. 
And the disciples began to become very fearful. Matter of fact, they even asked the Lord, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And the Bible says that the Lord came out and he rebuked the wind and said it to the sea, those three masterful words, peace, be still. You'll find that the storm ceased that very moment. We understand here tonight that you and I that are saved by the grace of God, thank God we are going to pass over to the other side one of these days. That place is called heaven. And thank God, yes, you and I, God's going to keep his promise of us going to heaven one day, but there will be some storms along the way. There will be some storms of financial trouble. Uh, There will be some storms of health problems. Uh, There will be a storm uh, possibly with a wayward son or a wayward daughter. But thank God, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again Thank God we're still going over to the other side. And you'll find that these disciples that was with Jesus on that ship, we need to identify who they were. It was that inner circle of disciples that walked very closely to Jesus during his earthly ministry. Those disciples not only saw the public life of Jesus, but they saw the private life of Jesus as well. They knew that he was not putting on a facade. For lack of a better term, you understand, they knew that Jesus was absolutely the real deal. They rubbed elbows with Jesus. They were there when Jesus turned the water into wine. They were there when Jesus allowed the blind eyes to see. They were there when Jesus allowed the deaf ears to hear, the lame to walk. They were there when Jesus took that little lad's lunch with five loaves and two fishes and fed that great multitude. Now they're there on that ship and they're going through the absolute storm of their life. And Jesus asked them a very sobering question. He asked that question in verse number 40. The Bible says, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have Look at these two words. No faith. He didn't say how is it that you have some faith. He didn't say how is it that you have just a little bit of faith. He said how is it that you've come to the place where you absolutely have no faith. Child of God, can we understand this tonight? That it is displeasing to our Heavenly Father when His children 
do not have faith in Him. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So, but that's what is faith. The Bible says, well, then faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So, but that's what is that substance. That substance is the Word of God. And my friend, as I read my Bible, I see that men, women, boys, and girls live by faith in this Bible. And they were able to get over to the other side. But I also understand that I serve a God that is not a respecter of persons. And my friend, he doesn't love any man, woman, boy, and girl in this Bible more than he loves you or more than he loves me. And if they can live by faith, you and I can live by faith as well. I'm thankful for the faith of these young people. You know what? Tonight, these young people that are coming down to the altar, they believe that God can still send revival. You want me to tell you tonight why maybe God is deppering the fire of revival? Is because some adults that have been saved by the grace of God and have seen many miracles performed by God and God has gotten you through storm and storm, storm after storm after storm. You don't believe God can send revival anymore. But my friend, my Bible says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that brought revival fires in your life back when you was a young person is the same God that they can allow the revival fires to burn tonight as well. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can we be reminded no faith to the lost sinner equals no conversion. No faith to the child of God equals no revival. Can I ask you tonight, have you ever gotten to the place in the Christian life where you had no faith? I know I certainly have. Early on when I, my wife and I got married and we went into the ministry, the Lord placed us in the ministry of evangelism. I told the story the other night, I believe it was, that when we got married, our moving truck was on the way to Jacksonville, North Carolina. And that's where we would serve out of the Grace Baptist Church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And we served out of that church for five years. And I didn't have any revival meetings on the calendar at that time when we moved. But the pastor gave me liberty to set up revival meetings. And he handed me a list of ten preachers that he had called. And from that uh, list of ten preachers, the, uh, the schedule began to uh, fill up in revival meetings. And when we first moved there, I was the soul winning coordinator and the bus director and cut the grass and I did all the uh, different jobs around the church house. But uh, after about a year of being there on staff, paid uh, uh, about six months after being on the payroll staff of the Grace Baptist Church, the preacher called me in the office one day and he said, Brother Chris, he said, as of today... You're no longer on the payroll staff of Grace Baptist Church. He said the church has hit financial rock bottom and we're no longer able to pay you a salary. And he said, as of today, you're no longer on our payroll staff. And I didn't have any revival meetings up to this time. Matter of fact, I'd only preached out a couple times, but my first series of meetings 
was, uh, that was on a Friday when that happened. And my first series of meetings was uh, on that Sunday. And I was going to be in the state of Pennsylvania starting that Sunday for two weeks. I wasn't preaching revivals, but I was preaching in uh, six different churches. One Sunday morning, another church Sunday night, another church Wednesday night. And I was going to do the same exact thing the very next week. And I remember when he told me that. My wife was teaching in the Christian school uh, there that day. And I just went home. And I, I remember when my wife and I first got married, Brother Andrew, and uh, we, we pulled into uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, and the sign said, Population such and such. And I remember her and I were both young and dumb back then in those days, and my wife's still young, I'm still dumb, amen. But we, uh, we grabbed each other's hand there that day, and we made each other a promise. We said, no matter how hard it gets, we would never turn our back on what God had called us to do. Little did we know how quickly that would get tested. Six months after that, he called me in the office and said, you're no longer on the payroll staff. I remember I went home that day and I memorized frontwards and backwards what I was going to tell my wife. I had my CDL license. I knew how to drive a tractor-trailer truck. So what I was going to tell her is I was going to call all those churches in the state of Pennsylvania and I was going to cancel those churches. And uh, I was going to go out in town on Monday and put in applications and, and get me a truck driving job uh, because at least I can pay the bills. At, at least I can pay the rent on the apartment and the insurance on the car. And, and I knew that if I wasn't preaching a meeting that I wasn't going to be able to pay the bills. And so I had it memorized forwards and backwards what I was going to tell my wife there that day. She came home to that little apartment that we had on Piney Green Road in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I sat her down, told her what happened, that the preacher said I was no longer on payroll staff. And I said, but don't worry. I'm going to call all those churches in Pennsylvania, and I'm going to cancel those churches and not go preach those meetings. And I, come Monday, I'm going to go put in some applications and get me a truck driving job. And my wife looked at me that day, and she said, well, what about the promise that you made me six months ago? No matter how hard it got, you're not going to quit on God. She said, Chris, she said, you're going to pack your bags and you're going to Pennsylvania to preach. And I say, I appreciate the spirituality of my wife, but she gets a little bossy at times. I can guarantee you that. Amen. She said, well, that's what you do. Well, I packed my bags and I went to preach. Amen. I preached in those churches, those two weeks, all six churches, one Sunday morning, one Sunday night, one Wednesday night, and did the same exact thing the next week. And church, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying this to uh, give some pity party or throw out some fleece. God's been extra, extra good to my wife and I these 13 years of evangelism. But when those two weeks were up, Paying for gas and paying for motel rooms and doing all those things and just paying the expenses out. I did not even have enough money to put gas in the car to make the eight-hour trip from Pennsylvania to North Carolina. You talking about at the place where I absolutely had no faith, I was there at that place where I had no faith. I began to question God. I began to say, God... I'm trying to fulfill the call that you placed on my life. 
I haven't compromised the Bible. I'm preaching the word of God. I'm trying to do exactly what you call me to do, God. And now I'm here and I'm stuck in Pennsylvania. And I can't even make it back home to my new bride. I was at the place where I had no faith. My wife scraped up some money at home, put money in the bank. I filled up the car. I made that that eight-hour trip from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, and the whole time I made my mind up what I was going to do. I didn't care what she said. I didn't care what God said. Come Monday when I get back home, I'm going to put in applications, and I'm walking away from the call of God in my life. I got home late on a Friday night. I was there Saturday the whole time. I was discouraged, despondent, just felt like I was defeated in trying to fulfill God's call for my life. That Sunday I was supposed to preach, and I did preach two hours away from Jacksonville at the Freedom Baptist Church in Williamson, North Carolina. That morning we got up and the whole time I, I, I was getting ready and getting dressed to uh, go and preach to those people, I was discouraged the entire time. And I put the address in the GPS and I've only been to church late two times in evangelism and that was the first time I was late and the GPS took me the wrong direction and, 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 I, and, and I got to the church about 20 minutes late and I walked inside that church there that day And I looked inside the doors there and I saw the preacher up teaching that Sunday school hour. And I began to count the number of heads that were inside that church. And I counted a grand total of 14 people inside that church. Inside that foyer, that church or that day, I I began to question God. I began to say, God, here I am. I just preached in Pennsylvania to churches that had well over 300 in attendance. And now you're, and they weren't able to take care of my needs. And now you brought me to this church with 14 people. God, they're not going to be able to take care of my needs either. You see where I'm at? I was expecting those in the pew to take care of my needs instead of the very God of heaven that placed the call of my life to begin with to take care of my needs. That day I preached Sunday morning. I preached Sunday night the entire time I was discouraged and knowing exactly what I was going to do the next day. I was going to walk away from the will of God and the call of God for my life. And I was going to go get a truck driving job. I preached Sunday morning. I preached Sunday night. That preacher gave me an envelope with what he said the love offering was. And I just tucked it in my Bible. My wife and I got in the car. We began to make that two-hour drive back to Jacksonville, North Carolina. And somewhere down the road, I saw that envelope sticking out of my Bible and I opened up that envelope. When I opened up that envelope, Brother Wolfram, tears began to stream down my face because that little church with just 14 people just gave us three times the amount of the entire total of all six churches in the state of Pennsylvania. And can I say there that night, God settled in my heart and God settled it deep down in my soul. The same God that saved me and the same God that called me was the same God that was going to take care of my needs along this journey called life. You say, Brother Dallas, how does that apply to me tonight? Can I tell you, my friend, you may not need the love offerings of God's people, But can I tell you, the same God that saved you is the same God that will take care of you along this journey called life. Have you ever got to the place 
like the disciples did where you had no faith? I'm going to show us a few reasons tonight from the Scripture on how you and I get to the place where we have no faith. Look at, look at Mark chapter 4, look at verse number 35. Look at Mark chapter 4, look at verse number 35. The Bible says in the same day, when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Verse number 36 through verse number 40, you'll find they're on the ship. There's a storm that comes along the way. It tosses that ship to and fro. The disciples begin to become very fearful. They even ask the Savior, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. Bible says, they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And I say, first of all, tonight, the disciples got to the place where they had no faith. And you and I get to a place where we have no faith. Number one, when we lose sight of the Lord's promises. When we lose sight of the Lord's promises. You understand, my friend, when God gives us a promise, you can take that promise to the bank because God is coming through with that promise. Can we also be reminded that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. Young people, he'll tell you to pop this and smoke this and drink this and everything's going to be okay. But you mark it down, Satan is a liar. All he wants to do is to destroy your life. But thank God, when God gives us the promise that I'll give you life and life more abundantly, he's a God that comes through with his promises. My friend, you and I get to the place where we have no faith and we go through the storms of life, and we go through the trials of life, and we go through the tribulations of life, and we all of a sudden, we get to a place where we have no faith. My friend, just get in the book of promises. God keeps up with his promises. Amen. Turn your Bibles. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter number 8. The Bible says in verse number 56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There have not found one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. Look at Numbers 23 with me. Look at Numbers 23. Verse number 19, the Bible says this. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken 
and shall he not make it good? Child of God, we get to the place where we have no faith when we lose sight of the Lord's promises. I know that I've given since Sunday, this is the 11th time I've preached, and I know that I've given bits and pieces of my life story. And those of you that have been here, I hope that you would endure it one more time if it could just be a help to one person on the sound of my voice tonight. And I don't say any of this to bring any kind of glamour to sin. I say it all because I want my life to bring honor and glory to God. Fourteen years old, I found myself in the first dry-out clinic that I would ever go to called the Parkwood Hospital in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And I had been hanging out with the wrong crowd and just they had activities in their life that I'd never been around with their activities soon became my activities. And you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And my parents got word of what I was involved in, drinking liquor and smoking pot and doing those things. As a 13-year-old boy, and even 14, and at 14 years old, I found myself in that dry-out clinic called Parkwood Hospital. Sitting across the table from me, my mom and my dad, and that psychiatrist sitting next to me. And that psychiatrist began to tell my mom and dad if they were to sign on the dotted line that I would have to live in that rehab at least for 30 days. At least once a day, sometimes two times a day, get up and say, my name is Chris Dallas, I'm a dope addict and alcoholic. Obviously tears streaming down mama's face, but only the second time in my life I'd ever seen my daddy cry was there that day. And I remember my dad looked at me and said, Chris, if you promise us that you'll quit hanging out with the crowd you're hanging out with and you promise us that you'll quit doing the things you've been doing, he said, we'll let you come back home, but if you can't promise us that, then you're going to have to stay here. And as a rebellious 14-year-old punk with tears streaming down my daddy's face, I looked at him and I said, I hate your guts and I never want to see you again. That was two weeks before Christmas there that year and I remember when Christmas morning rolled around, I was sitting in a big room there with about 40 or 50 other drug addicted teenagers and their parents began to come down the hallway on Christmas morning with Christmas presents under their arms. And I didn't say it outwardly, Brother Andrew, but I said it inwardly. I said, there's no way in the world that my mom and dad are going to come and visit me after the way that I talked to them just two weeks before. Before that thought even exited my mind, my mom and daddy were walking down the same hallway with Christmas presents under their arms. There that day I began to make promises. After promises, after promises. But I quit hanging out with the crowd I was hanging out with and I quit doing the things I've been doing. If they would just let me come back home. To understand those were just verbal promises. There wasn't a difference in here. There was still that empty void that every person has before they meet Jesus. And I continue to fill that empty void with all the wickedness and all the ungodliness and all the things that this world had to offer. And every time I try to fill it, I would just still remain empty because all those things were empty things anyhow. From the time I was 14 years old to the time I was 22 years old, I went through five of those rehabs and 
in and out of jail. My life was absolutely a complete mess, going down a dead end road of destruction. About sent my mom and dad to an early grave. Uh, there was many times uh, where my mom would cry herself to sleep, not knowing whether or not she'd get a phone call from some highway patrolman that her son uh, was uh, killed in some accident. 22 years old, I was living homeless in my car in a rest area about a mile south of Fernando, Mississippi. My mom found out I was living down there a few weeks later. She came to pick me up and she drove clear across the other side of Memphis to a suburb of Memphis called Bartlett, Tennessee. And she made the arrangements for me to live in a halfway house for dope addicts and alcoholics. I got out of her car there that night and I came from a family that definitely provided for me nice things monetarily. A nice roof over my head, always nice clothes on my back, always plenty of food on the table. But I got out of her car there that night and all I had was just a few stitches of clothes and an old garbage bag. And that's what sin and Satan will do to every single one of us. He'll rob us of everything God ever wanted to give us. And what my mama told me that night, I guess I'll never forget this side of eternity. Mama said, Chris, she said, you're not going to hear from your sisters or your dad and I for some time because we've been getting harassing phone calls from dope dealers that you owe money to and Sure enough, I didn't hear from my mom and dad for about six months. In order to live in that halfway house, I had to go to AA meetings every night and get up and say, my name is Chris Dallas, I'm a dope addict and alcoholic. And on one Sunday night, August 16th, 1998, I was about to get into that little Chevrolet Cavalier that I had back then in those days and about to head to an AA meeting like I had for the last eight years of my life to get up and say, my name is Chris Dallas. I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. But the phone rang, and the phone, I didn't have a cell phone. The phone was on the wall, and I went and answered the phone. When I answered the phone, it was the sweetest voice I'd heard in some time. It was my mama. Mama said, Chris, she said, your sisters and I have found a church we've been going to, and we'd like for you to come out tonight. Brother Wilson, I, I agreed to go there that night not to hear about God, not to learn about the Lord. I simply agreed to go there that night just so I could manipulate my family one more time and maybe please them enough that I was in church and maybe they'd be pleased enough to let me get out of that halfway house and come home and live with them. I got to church there that night and realized very quickly there was somebody there more powerful than I was. There was somebody there more powerful than the things I was putting in my body. There was somebody there more powerful than the crowd I was running around with. And that night at invitation time, even before invitation time, something was going on in my heart. I didn't know what it was called then. I know what it's called tonight. It was called good old Holy Ghost conviction. There was a man by the name of Brother Albright that came and stood beside me. He put his arm around me. And he brought me up real close to him. And he said, you don't know who I am. But I've been praying for you. Can I say there's some in this building tonight. Somebody's been praying for you as well. Somebody's been weeping for you. The preacher said it best this morning. 
He said, sometimes I feel like I care about you more than you even care about yourself. And when he said, you don't know who I am, but I've been praying for you, he had my attention. Because I didn't think anybody in the world cared about Chris Dallas. My own family wouldn't allow me in their home because they didn't know whether or not I would steal from them in order to feed the drug habits I had in my life. There wasn't one friend that I had on planet earth. I'd burned all those bridges. That night he asked me if he could talk to me in the back of the church there. We talked in the back of the church and looked at him and said, Chris, do you believe the Bible to be the Word of God? And I said, well, I said, he said, do you believe it to be true and accurate, the words of God? And I said, well, I said, it's been a long time since I've read the Bible. I don't know much about the Bible, but I do believe it to be the Word of God. He said, well, that's a good start, Chris. And he began to take me on a journey that night. I didn't know what that journey was called back then, but I know what that journey is called tonight. That journey was called the Romans Road to Salvation. And he began to show me from the Word of God that the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he said, Chris, he said, you understand when the Bible says all, he said, that means I'm a sinner. That means the preacher that preached the message tonight, that means he's a sinner. That means everybody in the congregation, they're sinners. He said, Chris, he said, do you understand that even means that you're a sinner? I said, yes, sir, I, I understand I'm a sinner. You understand, it didn't take very much convincing to me that night I was a sinner. I was living in the very muck and mire and filth of sin. I said, yes, sir, I understand I'm a sinner. He said, Chris, the Bible says that there's a penalty for sin. That penalty is death and hell. He said, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. He said, Chris, he said, if you die physically without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible talks about a second death in that place called hell. He said, the Bible says in death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. He said, Chris, he said, sinners that die without Christ, they'll die and go to hell. He said, but Chris, he said, since I've been sharing Scripture with you tonight, he said, all the Scripture I've shared with you has been bad news, hasn't it? I said, yes, sir, it has. He looked at me with tears streaming down his face. He said, Chris, he said, your life has been full of bad news, hasn't it? And I said, yes, sir, it has. He said, I know a little bit about your story. Your mom's asked me to pray for you. And he said, Chris, how about this? Enough of the bad news. I want to give you some good news. And he said, the good news is, although there is a penalty that must be paid for sin, that penalty was paid for in full when Jesus Christ laid down His life on the cross of Calvary for our sin. The Bible says, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, but Chris, he said, it's not just about knowing about God in your mind. It's not just knowing about the attributes of Christ in your mind. He said, you understand, you've got to confess with your mouth and you've got to believe and receive in your heart that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. He said, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that Christ raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believed unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then 
he took me to what I consider the greatest verse in the entire Bible. He said, Chris, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, Chris, that word whosoever, it doesn't have any exclusions. It doesn't have any exceptions. He said, I know that you've been to jail. I know that you've been to rehab. But when the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, that even means Chris Dallas. And can I say that night under Holy Ghost conviction, I bow my head. I bow my heart. I call on God to save my soul. And I testify to you, my life's never been the same. You understand tonight, the very first promise in this Bible that I ever applied in my life was that of Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was almost 22 years ago. It would be 22 years next month on August the 16th. Brother Andrew, from that day to this day, There's been some troubles. There's been some trials. There's been some storms of life. But thank God, the same God that fulfilled that promise 22 years ago is the same God that is fulfilling promises in my life tonight. And he's the same God that fulfilled promises in your life as well. Not only when we lose sight of the Lord's promises, I only have 27 points in this scripture right here, amen? Number two, number two, look at verse number 36. <clears throat> the Bible says that when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. You understand? It says they took him even as he was in the ship. I'll tell you when we get to the place where we have no faith is first of all when we lose sight of the Lord's promises but number two when we lose sight of the Lord's presence. Jesus didn't stay on the bank and say y'all go over to the other side. Jesus got on the ship with them. Matter of fact, Jesus had everything so much under control that he went to the hinder part of the ship and slept on a pillow. He was present with them. And you understand, child of God, blood-bought child of God, when you and I go through the storms of life, when you and I go through the troubles and trials of life, we're not going through those troubles and trials by ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God is going there with us. The Lord is going there with us. Those of us that are saved tonight, I alluded to it last night when we got saved by the grace of God, I used to say that he was the third part of the Godhead, but that almost belittles God the Holy Ghost because God the Holy Ghost is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. Amen. He is God. And he come to dwell within us the very moment we received by faith the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. My wife and I got married on June the 16th, 2007. That day that we got married, I left my mom and daddy's house for the last time as a single man 
And my parents have been forever grateful since that day. Amen. I can promise you that. I, I got saved later on in life. My wife got saved as a teenage girl, but she grew up in church her entire life. And there were some convictions that she had. There were some commitments that she made to the Lord as a teenage girl. One of those commitments were that she would not kiss anybody of the opposite sex until the day that she got married and she fulfilled that commitment. And she and that and the first time that somebody of the opposite sex touched her lips was when this big old boy puckered up for the first time on June the 16th, 2007, and I kissed her, amen. I'm not going to say that I did not want to kiss her before that day, but I knew who her preacher was, and I knew that he had knocked my daylights out if I tried, amen. Matter of fact, I was so nervous the night the preacher said, you may now kiss the bride, I forgot to take the veil off her face and I kissed the veil. But praise God, he gave me a second chance, amen. And I can testify to you, the second kiss was a lot better than the first kiss. That day I left my mom and dad's house. I drove to the Bethel Baptist Church there in Walls, Mississippi, and I drove around the back of the church. And I went inside the teen room where all the teenagers would meet on Sunday and Myself and about a half a dozen other young men put on tuxedos. And the preacher came in just a little while later and said, Chris, he said, the wedding's about to start. You understand that drive on the way to my, from my parents' house to the church, I was in that car all by myself. I was alone in that car by myself. But that day we had the wedding ceremony. The preacher pronounced his husband and wife. They had something after the wedding ceremony that seemed like it lasted for eternity. I think they called it a reception or something like that, amen. But after the reception was over, the day started with me getting to the church by myself. But I did not leave the church by myself that night. My new bride went home with me. August 16, 1998, when I agreed to go to church for my mama's phone call, I got in that little Chevrolet Cavalier and I drove 45 minutes on the other side of Memphis to the same church, the Bethel Baptist Church in Walls, Mississippi. That 45-minute drive from the halfway house to the Bethel Baptist Church, <clears throat> I was in that car all by myself. I was alone in that car all by myself. But Wolfram, I was empty in that car all by myself. I got to church that night, but thank God, uh, I got to church by myself that night, but thank God, I heard the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got saved by the good grace of God, and can I tell you, the day started where I got to church by myself, but thank God, I did not leave the church by myself that night. God, the Holy Ghost, went home with me. And child of God, can I tell you, your background and your testimony may be different than my background and my testimony. But if you're saved by the grace of God, God, the Holy Ghost, lives inside of you tonight. And you're not going through these storms by yourself. Another name for the Holy Spirit, His name is Comforter. And He will comfort you through these storms that we go through. First of all, tonight, we get to a place where we have no faith. And we lose sight of the Lord's promises. We lose sight of the Lord's presence. Look at verse number 38 with me. 
The Bible says that he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. They awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose and rebuked the wind and said it to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Brother Dallas, how did the disciples get to a place where they had no faith? How do I get to a place where I have no faith? Well, first of all, when we lose sight of the Lord's promises, when we lose sight of the Lord's presence, and number three, when we lose sight of the Lord's power, when we lose sight of the Lord's power. My friend, the most supernatural prayer that God will ever answer in any of our lives was the day that we called upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save our soul. And the same great big God of heaven that answered that supernatural prayer of faith is the same great big God of heaven that will answer any other need that comes along this journey called life. After about a year and a half or two years of my wife and I traveling across the country, and after that time, that testing time of that little church in Williamson, North Carolina with 14 people, and I still preach for Brother J.T. Edwards till to this day. He's a great friend of mine. God took us through that test, and we just stayed faithful to God, and up to this point we've stayed faithful, and that's our prayer, and I'd ask you to pray that my wife and I would stay faithful to God. About two years after that, the schedule got so busy and the calendar got so busy and we were finishing up a meeting on Friday and traveling on Saturday to get to the next meeting and starting another one Sunday through Friday and we had about a year and a half, 18 months worth of meetings uh, that we were booked out that first year and a half, two years of evangelism and God just blessed. And we had prayed and prayed and prayed whether or not to buy a house or to buy a motor home and finally God gave us peace about buying a motor home. And I remember my wife and I found a motor home that we felt like God would have us to buy. And I went to the pastor and I said, Preacher, I said, I believe that Nikita and I found the motor home that we believe God would have us to buy. And he told us before then to go ahead and start looking. And I said, but there's only one problem with it. I said, there's another couple that's in line right after us and we've got 72 hours and we've got to pay 20% down on the motor home and I said, 20% down is $16,500. And I said, there's only one problem with that. All I have is $16.50. Amen. I, I don't have $16,500. And he looked at me and he said, Chris, he said, do you believe God can do it? And while I was in his office looking at him eyeball to eyeball, I said, yes, sir, I believe God can do it. But as soon as I left his office and he was out of my, where he couldn't hear me, I said, God, can you really do that? And he said, Chris, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I don't want you to call any family. I don't want you to call any friends. I don't want you to tell anybody except God. If you believe that's the one God would have you to buy, I want you to spend the next three days asking and begging God to provide the 16500 And so for three days, I begged and asked God to send, somehow give the $16,500. And so I was preaching out on Sunday, and he just got up Sunday night and told the church. He said, church, he said, the Dallases have found the motorhome 
they believe God would have them to buy and they're going to go make the down payment on Tuesday. And so that Tuesday, I, we, were at the la, we were at the last few hours of, uh, of, of, of paying that down payment down or the next couple was in line and they had the money to make the down payment on that motorhome. And Nikita was out buying groceries there that Tuesday afternoon and I was there at the missions house that our church owned there, uh, there in Jacksonville and I was knelt down in a recliner and I was just praying and I was asking and I was begging God that somehow, some way, He would provide the $16,500 so I could buy that motorhome for Nikita and at least we could have some type of housing while we were on the road traveling. And while I was praying, there was a knock that came on the door and I just kept on praying. The knock just came again and I just kept on praying. All of a sudden, the door came open and I'm saying to myself, I'm trying to spend time with God, but I said to myself, man, it sure is weird. Somebody knock on the door and you don't tell them to come in, but they come in anyhow. And uh, it, it was my pastor and he came and knelt beside me and he began to say, uh, do you care if I pray with you? And I said, no, sir, I don't care if you pray with me. And he began to uh, pray and uh, thank the Lord for Nikita and I and thank the Lord that he placed the call of evangelism on our life and thank the Lord that he began to fill our calendar and he just began to thank the Lord for us. And then he said, Lord, I just want to thank you for that young Marine that just stopped by the church and asked how much that down payment was that the Dallases need to make on their motorhome. And when I told them, God, I just want to thank you that he wrote that check out for $16,500 so the Dallases could make the down payment on their motorhome. Can I tell you tonight, child of God, your prayer request may not be for God to supply a down payment for a motorhome, but my friend, God doesn't love Chris and Nikita Dallas more than he loves anybody in this room. And child of God, thank God his power never changes. Amen. And then lastly, I finish. I'll tell you when we get to the place where we have no faith, when we lose sight of the Lord's promises, when we lose sight of the Lord's presence, when we lose sight of the Lord's power. Look at chapter 4, verse number 35 again. The Bible says, In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Look at chapter 5, verse number 1. The Bible says that they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the what church? Gadarenes. Now you can agree with me or you can disagree with me. And when we get to heaven, if you disagree with me, you'll find out that I was right and you were wrong. Amen. But I believe with all my heart when the Lord told the disciples, get on the ship and let's pass over to the other side. He knew he was going to the country of the Gadarenes because he knew that there was a maniac over there. They'd been cutting himself, in the, cutting himself with stones, living in the tombs, and no man could bind him. And Jesus knew that if the hand of God did not intervene in his life, 
surely he would die and go to hell. Child of God, I'll tell you where we get to the place where we have no faith. When we lose sight of the Lord's purpose. It's always been and it always will be God's purpose. For How many of us are saved tonight? It's all of our purpose to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for us. And my friend, I want to be on board with the thing that is nearest and dearest to God's heart. Say, Brother Dallas, I don't know the Bible as well as Pastor Marshall. I don't have the Scripture memorized. Just tell somebody what He's done for you. I was going to read the Scripture there, but God absolutely changed that maniac's life. Give me five more minutes and I'll be finished. I want you to look at another story here tonight. Look at chapter 5, talking about faith here. I want you to look here, this this story here in chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse number 27 here in just a minute. You'll find that this here was a woman. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had an acute malignant, contagious disease, blood disorder for 12 years of her life. And somehow, someway, she fought her way through that crowd and she touched the hem of the Savior's garment. And she was made whole immediately, immediately that very moment. You understand? She had tried all the physicians. She had tried all the doctors. She had tried all the, the experts. And yet she still was bound for 12 years of that disease. For eight years of my life, I tried AA and government programs and nothing ever changed. But when she met Jesus, everything changed in her life. I want you to look at a truth here tonight. Look at verse number 27. The Bible says, When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garments. She had heard the facts about Jesus. She had heard of this Jesus that allowed the blind eyes to see, the deaf ears to hear, the lame to walk, She had heard of this Jesus uh, that uh, took that little lad's lunch with five loaves and two fishes. She had heard of all the miracles. And it's sad to say tonight that there's possibly somebody on the side of my voice. You've heard the facts. You know the facts about the virgin birth. You know about the facts of the sinless Son of God. You know the facts about the shed blood on the cross of Calvary. My friend, a person will die and go to hell just knowing the facts. I want you to look at the next truth tonight. Look at verse number 28. The Bible says, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Look at verse number 34. 
The Bible says, he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of that plague. You understand? Yes, she heard the facts. But it wasn't until she exercised faith in those facts that she was made whole immediately. My friend, before I got saved, even going through all the rehabs and in and out of jail and all those things, I knew all there was to know about Jesus. But you understand, intellect won't get a person to heaven. It's only a heartfelt faith by believing in the finished work on the cross of Calvary that'll get a person to heaven. Then lastly, look at this, look at this. Look at this, look at verse number 29. She heard the facts. She exercised faith in those facts. And the Bible says in straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Lastly, she had a feeling. Now don't start throwing stones at me. People say, I ask them, brother, I'll say, do you know for 100% sure without a shadow of a doubt if you're going to heaven or not? And they say, well, I feel like I am. I was in a car wreck and I should have died and my life was spared and I feel like I'm going to heaven. Somebody shot me or somebody stabbed me and I should have died there in that hospital room and uh, my life has been spared so I feel like I'm going to heaven. Can I say, my friend, that was the mercy of God allowing you to live. This Bible says you must confess with your mouth and you must believe in your heart in order to be saved by the grace of God. You understand, sometimes I feel good. Sometimes I feel bad. Sometimes I don't feel bloated. But after I leave Miss Marshall's, I always feel bloated. I can go put my tongue on that light socket over there and I'm going to have a feeling. But my salvation is not based upon feelings. My salvation is based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. I know I've kept you a long time tonight, but I still got a voice and I want to preach. Amen. I'm, fin- I'm finishing right now. I'm finishing right now. That story took five minutes. This will take three. My favorite store in the entire world. I, 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 I like sports stores, Academy, and I like Cabela. I like those stores. But my favorite store in the entire world is a Sam's Wholesale Club. I love Sam's Wholesale Club, amen. And I believe some of the cooking team's been to Sam's this week. I love Sam's. And I know that I'm a large boy now. I know I'm still pretty large, but there was a day where I used to weigh 430 pounds. And uh, I was so fat that I, I had an autographed picture of little Debbie in my pocket at all times, amen. I, I was a big old boy. When I was in Bible college, Sam's became my favorite store because I would just go in there just minding my own business and just looking at the merchandise and poof, out of nowhere, these nice little ladies serving up free food, amen. I love the cooking team, amen. You're my favorite people. I love you more than I love Brother Marshall, amen. You have fed me good this week. And I walked in there one day and... 
I was just minding my own business and poof, out of nowhere, there was this nice lady and she was serving up black Angus burgers and she was cutting them in force and I was in a Bible, I was in a prayer class that semester so I took a Bible promise on prayer, uh, you have not because you ask not, amen. And I asked that lady, I said, ma'am, I said, instead of cutting mine in force, I said, is there any way that I can have that whole black Angus burger? She looked around, made sure nobody was looking. And Brother Andrew, she gave me that whole black Angus burger. I thought I'd die and go to heaven in Sam's Wholesale Club. I was eating that burger and I walked a little bit further and poof, out of nowhere, there was this nice lady serving up IBC root beer. How many of you know what IBC root beer is? Amen. And I got her to pour it in a styrofoam cup because it looks like a beer bottle and I want to abstain from all appearances of evil, amen. So, boy, I was just living it up in Sam's Wholesale Club. Now, you understand, in order to shop at Sam's, in order to pay for merchandise, you have to be a member. You have to have a membership card. I'm 44 years old and never in my life have I ever had a Sam's membership card. I've never been a member. My wife is. My, my wife's got a Sam's card, but I've never had one. And one thing about it, you can go through Sam's and you can get one basket or you can get two baskets and you can go down the aisles and you can pull some of this off the shelf and you can pull some of that off the shelf and a few of those off the shelf and a little bit of that off the shelf. But whatever you get up to the cash register, it doesn't matter how many credit cards you have. It doesn't matter how many checkbooks you have. It doesn't matter how much cash you have. My friend, if you don't have that Sam's card, you're not checking out with the merchandise. Can I tell you, possibly tonight, this Thursday night of revival, uh, maybe, uh, maybe tonight uh, you, you're, you're going back to a profession when you were a young person, or maybe you're going uh, back to uh, a longevity of sobriety. Maybe you're going back to listening to the right music and, and obeying the authority in your life and being a good husband and being a good wife. And can I say all those things are good and commendable things. But my friend, when you stand before God in heaven one of these days, if you don't have that one thing called salvation, you're not going home to be with the Lord. And you'll go to that awful place called hell one of these days. I got much more than just a profession in 1998. I received his possession, amen. I'm his, but thank God he's mine, amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all across the building.